Switzerland! Uh-oh. Max, what are you doing? Shh. I'll explain in a minute, lass. Uh, <clears throat> uh, the following token uh, by announcer lad were pre-recorded. That was his gun! Do you think he spotted a wolf? Marie cried as she and the adults ran through the gardens, reaching the entrance to the woods. Gilbert! Come back! Come back! Don't go in there! Abby warned, grabbing Marie by the arm. You stay here with the ladies. Welcome to the Epic Order of the Seven, the podcast, with your hosts, Max, Liz, and Nigel. This podcast is produced by Playful World Ministries, a department of ACT International. All of the Epic Order of the Seven characters and adventures were created by and written by Jenny L. Cody. And I'm your narrator, Denny. And I'm announcer lad, uh, announcer dog. And on today's episode, we'll hear chapter 47 from the voice, The Revolution and the Key. Uh, plus, in Nigel's news nuggets, Mousy be making an important announcement about this summer. And in Ginny's corner, uh, she be sharing about something scary. Uh, but uh, first, uh, here we are, uh, your hosts, Max, Liz, and Nigel. Oh, greetings, lads and lasses. I say, old boy, what on earth? Uh, where is our announcer chap? He left a note that he was too scared to come to work today. Are you referring to this text message? I got two. Uh, hey, guys, I have a really bad cold or something, so I am afraid I cannot make it to work today. Hi, you see there? He's afraid. He'd be scared to come to work. <laughs> uh, no, no, dear boy. He simply means he's too sick to work. As to the word afraid, well, he's simply using a colloquialism. Uh, I don't think he believes in colloquialism. He'd be Presbyterian like me. <laughs> no, mon ami. A colloquialism is just a using an expression. It is not meant to be taken literally. Quite so, my pet. Uh, but uh, on the other paw, uh, wasn't he sick just a few weeks ago? We, oui. In fact, we all got sick. All from his swine friend Seymour infecting us. But uh, we are fine this time. Aye, but the lad seems to be getting sick a lot. And it always is happening in his breathing. Uh-huh. Uh, uh, coupled with uh, sinus congestion and the like, I say, it is a bit frightening. We, oui, I am afraid. It is not like Monsieur to stay home from work. Do you suppose it might be something uh, serious? Uh, well, I did hear him telling someone he thinks he might have been exposed to uh, something that, uh, well, I would hate to speculate. Aye, me too. I almost speculated last night, and- Max, no, uh, uh, that, that was something else. Hi, <laughs> you're telling me. Well, has the lad been in to get his shots, then? His shots? Aye, you know, for rabies and heartworm and distemper and such. <laughs> well, uh, Max, humans don't get the same kinds of shots as you pets do, but uh, perhaps he should be tested. For if he's been exposed to something dreadful, well- Then we all have been exposed as well. Indeed. He may have breathed on us. Oh, scratched me ears. Uh, perhaps it is good that he did not come in today. Indeed. In fact, perhaps we should insist on him getting tested. We, before he returns. In fact, we should make a rule that he can't come back until he gets tested. Because we cannot be too careful. In fact, I dare say we should all get tested. We, oui, and then, uh, when we uh, allow him to return, he should have his own room in which to record. Aye. 
with the door shut and keeping his distance, then? I mean, we have to take every precaution, no? Indeed, our very lives may be at stake. Well, for no, we better play the chapter, then. Uh, maybe it'll not be all that scary. Oh, contraire, Max. You mean? We. Oui. It is about the big bad wolf. Chapter 47 Marquis and the Beast. Abbe Fayon lit a few candles on his desk and sat down to read by the dim light. Soon he heard a soft knock on the door, followed by the voice of Gilbert. Abbe Fayon, may I come in? Of course, come in, Gilbert. The tutor replied in his cheery voice, You are up late. Gilbert walked in and set his brass candle holder on his tutor's desk. He smiled weakly, put his hands behind his back, and slowly paced across the room. I cannot sleep. He walked over to look at the world map on the wall, gazing at the eastern seaboard of North America. May I ask you something? Why do you think the Lafayette men have always been so brave? Abby gave a curious smile. Well, bravery runs through the blood of your ancestors, Gilbert. They have always been warriors to answer the call to fight and defend those who need them. They have sought to honor their country, and both sides of your family have always received glory for their achievements. He picked up a French dictionary and opened it to the G's. Here, read me the definition of la gloire. Gilbert walked over and put his finger on the word. Glory, a reputation garnered through virtue, merit, great qualities, good actions, and beautiful works. Synonyms, honor, esteem, praise. Abby leaned back in his chair and smiled at the young Marquis. Once earned, glory is its own reward. This is proved time and again by the heroes of history, both real and mythical. He picked up a book about King Arthur and the Knights of the Round Table. Knights must be fearless and loyal to accomplish great things. Arthur was an orphan, but he became the father of a new nation as he led his brave knights. And the French knight was the bravest one of the round table, Gilbert exclaimed, drawing an imaginary sword. Lancelot du Lac is my favorite. <laughs> Lancelot was King Arthur's most loyal friend, the kind tutor chuckled at Gilbert's quick enthusiasm. I love your passion, Gilbert. You truly live up to the Lafayette family motto, Cournon, which means what in Latin? Why not? Gilbert answered, swinging his imaginary sword across the room. He looked up at the large map. I want to be a knight and fight like my father and grandfathers. I want to go to exciting faraway lands someday. Son Catherine of Siena once said, Be who God meant you to be, and you will set the world on fire. Abbe Fayon said with a finger raised in the air, if God means for you to follow in the footsteps of your Lafayette ancestors, you will do just that. I have no doubt, young Gilbert. Gilbert smiled, but then remembered what was weighing heavily on his mind. But what about now? I am the lord of Chevaniac. Shouldn't I be the one protecting the people from the beast that threatens them? Abby's face grew serious. Your day will come. For now, leave that fight to those who are stronger and older than you. This is a serious matter. 
Gilbert nodded and looked down at the floor. It's just that Marie is upset, and the people are so very frightened by the beast of Gévaudan. Oui, but again, this is not your battle, Gilbert, Abby reminded the lad. Why don't you go to bed and put the beast to rest for tonight? It is late. The man stood and handed the candle to Gilbert as he escorted him to the door. We'll talk about this tomorrow. Very well, Abby Fayon. Merci. Gilbert replied, obediently going to the door. Bonne nuit. Bonne nuit, Abby replied with a smile. Beau rêve. Gilbert walked along the stone corridor of the chateau. The light from his candle flickered and his footsteps echoed off the walls. He was headed for his bedroom, but then stopped and turned to go to the grand hall. He slowly walked along the wall, lined with portraits of brave Lafayette warriors. The light from his flickering candle animated the faces of his ancestors, who gazed back at him. He stopped in front of the suit of armor that had belonged to his father. Gilbert ran his hand along the cold, smooth metal. How he wished he could have known his father and seen him dressed in this magnificent armor. A pair of silver swords mounted on the wall caught his eye. He walked over and lifted the candle high to study the intricate carving on the handles. Under the swords was hung a plaque with the Lafayette family crest. A red and gold shield was decorated with a field of blue and silver castles. On the top was a crown with a reined horse head and the family motto, Cournon. Gilbert furrowed his brow, proud of his rich family ancestry. He understood what Abbe Fayon had tried to tell him about leaving the fight with the beast to those stronger and older than he. But he still felt responsible, and other children were out there fighting off the beast with sticks. The man in the village earlier had given him much to think about. He was right. France had lost its pride after their defeat by the British, and Gilbert had lost his father in the process. France needed its brave young knights to rise and meet the current challenge to protect its people. Gilbert's eyes then landed on his father's musket, mounted on the wall. He walked over and the light from his candle gleamed off the beautiful dark wood of the weapon, a weapon afforded not to the village peasants, but to the nobility of the Lafayettes. He ran his hand along the handle and his face grew determined as he glanced back at the family crest. Cournon! he exclaimed with a bold voice. His voice echoed in the grand hall, and he could almost hear the approval of his forefathers cheering him on. He knew what he needed to do. He set his candle on the floor and lifted the musket from the wall mount. His heart raced as he raised the musket to his shoulder and imagined shooting the beast. The words he had read earlier that day about the seven brave children filled his mind. If their strength had matched their bravery, the hardy band now would be reaping the glory due to the eventual conqueror of the monster. Gilbert smiled. Glory due to the conqueror of the monster. He took in a deep breath and put the musket over his shoulder. Why not indeed? Kate sat in the shadows and frowned as she listened to the boy. Her heart raced to see the young Marquis pick up his candle and walk out of the Grand Hall with the musket. The wee lad thinks his strength will match his bravery against the beast, but he has no idea what he's facing. The white dog scurried out of the room and down the corridor. 
she wasn't about to let Gilbert out of her sight. Gilbert woke up early and tiptoed to the kitchen with its arched ceiling, cozy fireplace, and long mahogany farm table. His grandmother was up and had prepared a pot of hot chocolate. She poured him a bowl of the sweet drink, and he hurriedly ate his breakfast of baguette, jam, and boiled egg. He gulped down his last sip of chocolate and smiled as he wiped his mouth. Merci, grandmère. He rose from the table and kissed his grandmother on the cheek. I am going for a walk with Bibi. Please tell Marie and Abby Fayon I will be back. A bientôt. Madame de Chavagnac tilted her head and studied her young grandson with a grin. You are such a child of nature, cher Gilbert. Be safe and stay near. A bientôt. Allons-y, Bibi, Gilbert called to Kate, who immediately trotted along after him down the stone corridor. He picked up the musket he had left in the hall and slung it across his shoulder as they went out the door. As they passed the Libertas statue, Gilbert gazed at the face of the Roman goddess of liberty. Little did he know that her face belonged to his distant grandmère. Liberty for the people of Chavonniac, he whispered. Kate gazed into the face of Liz, who was carved at the base of the statue. Somehow, seeing her friend gave her courage. She smiled and trotted along behind the young Marquis, who was out to kill the beast. A pillow of fog covered the green grass on this overcast morning. By the time they reached the woods, Kate's fur and Gilbert's shoes were already damp. Kate's heart raced. She kept a watchful eye as she followed Gilbert down the well-worn path he had made from hundreds of walks into the forest. All was unusually quiet. Kate looked up at the canopy of trees and didn't see any birds. She didn't hear them either. Something wasn't right. Suddenly, they heard a twig snap to their left and quickly looked over in that direction. Hello? Anyone there? Gilbert called out. There was no reply. His heart was pounding in his chest, and he swallowed back his fear. He proceeded slowly, carefully cocking the hammer of his musket. Kate was right behind him. After they had walked another ten yards, they heard another twig snap, this time to the right. Gilbert sucked in a quick breath and broke out in a sweat. He didn't call out, but gripped his gun tighter with his sweaty palms, staying still for a moment as he looked all around them. Nothing. No movement anywhere. As Gilbert started walking ahead once more, something reached out and touched Kate on the back. She jumped and quickly looked behind her, ready to pounce on whatever it was. Two big black triangle ears were sticking out of a fern. What big ears you have? was the first thing that popped into Kate's head. She closed her eyes in relief as she came to her senses. You a boot scared me out of me fur, she whispered. The two big black triangle ears rose to reveal a big square head with two dark eyes. It was Max. <coughs> Sorry, lass. I were trying not to do that. I didn't want to scare the lad. It's all right, Max. Have you seen anything this morning? Kate whispered as she ducked under the fern with the Scotty dog. Max had kept out of sight from Gilbert and the others at Chevagnac for the past year and a half, but he was always nearby. Little did Gilbert 
Marie, or any of the women of the chateau know, but Max and Kate had been defending Gilbert from wolves for months now. Between the two of them, they were able to scare off a lone wolf or two that ventured near Chevanyac. They knew that the attacks happening in the south of France were not just due to one beast, but an unusual infestation of wolves in the region. But they also knew there was indeed one larger beast that was responsible for some of the attacks. They were yet to encounter the powerful beast of the Gévaudan. Haven't seen anything yet, but something in me gut tells me we need to be on high alert, Max whispered. Aye, me too. Gilbert met a stranger in the village yesterday who kept taunting the lad about fighting the beast, Kate explained. Max, I think he were no ordinary stranger. Max frowned. What do you mean, lass? Not only did he say things to Gilbert that made him want to pick up his papa's musket today, but he smelled bad for a human, Kate answered. He even kicked me when the lad weren't looking. Max growled at the thought of anyone hurting his lass. How dare he? Are ye all right? Aye, I'm fine. But listen, Max. That stranger made me feel the way we felt when Judas turned traitor. When the evil one got a hold of him, recalled Kate gravely. I think the enemy is out to get the wee Marquis. Just like it tried to get young Patrick Henry with the panther. I smelled something rotten then, too, Max grumbled. If it is the enemy, it's going to take both of us to handle the monster wolf. If it even is a wolf, Kate added. All of a sudden, they both smelled it. A foul stench wafted through the air. The beastie be here, Max shouted, lifting his nose in the air to determine where the smell was coming from. Come on, lass, there's no time to lose. Together, Max and Kate darted out from the fern and ran in the direction of the stench, leaving Gilbert alone. They came to a small clearing of trees where water had formed a mucky bog in the dark black soil. These bogs were common in this region of France and had captured animals, horses, and even humans like quicksand. The two Scottish dogs were well familiar with such bogs, which were also common in Scotland. They carefully ran around the edge of the bog and in the direction of the stench that grew stronger with each step. When they had run a half mile, they suddenly saw the source of the stench. Max and Kate stopped in their tracks and assumed a posture of defense. There before them was a massive wolf. It was six feet long and almost three feet tall, weighing at least 130 pounds. It bristled its fur and snarled to show its fangs. Out of my way, whelps, the beast growled, a string of thick saliva hanging from its mouth. You're not going this way, you stinking beastie, Max growled back. He and Kate stood with their fur raised and tails up, but looked pitifully small in front of this monster wolf. The beast's snarl faded, and it chuckled. <laughs> what are you going to do? Charm me to death with your cuteness? Kate took a step forward. We've handled bigger beasties than ye, including a lion. We're not afraid of ye. The beast's eyes widened. Impressive. A lion, you say? It calmly walked toward them, getting just inches from Kate's face. 
Well, I'm the king of the beasts in this forest. The wolf snapped at her, and immediately Max lunged for its throat. Kate ran to the back of the wolf and grabbed its tail while Max kept his powerful jaws locked around its neck, refusing to release the beast. The wolf rose up and tried to sling Max and Kate off as they fought viciously in a chaotic encounter. The beast fell hard to the ground and rolled over onto its back, sending Kate flying off from the impact. She hit a nearby moss-covered boulder and had the wind knocked out of her for a moment. Max and the beast tumbled and rolled along the ground when suddenly Kate heard a sickening sound. Another wolf howled in the distance, in the direction of where they had left Gilbert. Max! Another wolf! Kate cried. She didn't know what to do. Max was too small to defeat this monster wolf alone, but she knew that Gilbert's life was in grave danger. Maker! Help us! She took off running back toward the young Marquis de Lafayette. Bonjour! Where's Gilbert? Abbe Fayon asked as he took his seat at the breakfast table. Marie, Aunt Madeleine, and Aunt Charlotte were seated there. Madame came over to pour him some chocolat. Merci. He came down early for his petit déjeuner, Madame explained. He seemed to be in quite a hurry to take Bibi on a walk this morning, but he said to tell you and Marie he would be back soon. Abby tapped his boiled egg on the pewter plate to crack the shell and slowly peeled it away. Gilbert came to chat with me last night. We talked of nights and glory. He smiled, admiring the passionate spirit of the boy, but he also seemed to be quite upset about the latest beast attack. He feels responsible to protect the people as Lord of Chevagnac. Aunt Madeline smiled. He's such a dear boy. If only our sister realized how loyal her son is to uphold the Lafayette family honor. We, oui, Aunt Charlotte said, spreading some fresh raspberry jam on her baguette. Gilbert has such a big heart to wish to protect others like that. Marie cupped her yellow and blue ceramic bowl of delicious chocolat with both hands and took a sip. My cousin is very brave. He said he would always protect me, even from the beast of Gévaudan. She smiled, remembering how he had embraced and comforted her the day before. Suddenly her face fell and she set the bowl down on the table. She quickly got up and ran down the corridor. Madame frowned. Where is she going? She did not finish her petit déjeuner. Abby dipped his peeled egg into the salt and shrugged his shoulders. The other ladies looked at one another but continued eating. It's not there, Marie cried, running back into the kitchen. What is not where? Madame de Chevagnac asked with a worried expression as she slowly rose to her feet. Uncle Lafayette's musket, Marie answered with alarm. Gilbert must have taken it. It suddenly dawned on everyone. Mon Dieu, he's gone to hunt the beast. Madame cried as she put her hands to her cheeks. Gilbert! Together, everyone fled the kitchen and ran down the corridor to leave the chateau. They just hoped they wouldn't be too late. Kate growled and snarled at the wolf, which was now a short distance from Gilbert. You will not take another step! 
The wolf was rather small and skinny, but he was large enough to kill a small dog or boy. Don't make me hurt you, little dog. Anger rose up in Kate as none she had ever known before. Her mate was in the fight of his life with the monster wolf, and now this other wolf threatened Gilbert. She was sick and tired of the dark fear that surrounded them and bullied the humans. Suddenly she snapped and lunged for the wolf, grabbing it by the ankle and puncturing its tendon. The wolf cried out in pain with a loud howl as Kate shook her head back and forth. Just as the wolf reached down to bite her, Kate let go and spun around to sink her teeth into its other leg. She barked and growled between bites, moving so fast the wolf couldn't catch her. Just then they heard Gilbert fire his musket and shout, Bibi! Bibi! Fear filled Kate's mind as she let go of the wolf. Was there a third wolf? Gilbert! The bloodied wolf also filled with fear to hear the gunshot and took off running away through the forest to make his escape. Kate ran as fast as she could back toward Gilbert. I'm coming! Hang on, me wee barky! That was his gun! Do you think he spotted a wolf? Marie cried as she and the adults ran through the gardens, reaching the entrance to the woods. Gilbert! Come back! Come back! Don't go in there, Abby warned, grabbing Marie by the arm. You stay here with the ladies. Immediately, Madame, Aunt Charlotte, Aunt Madeleine, and Marie all began shouting and crying for Gilbert to return as Abby stepped into the woods. It didn't take long for Kate to reach Gilbert, who dropped to his knees as soon as he saw her. He scooped her up in his arms. I thought I lost you. I thought I lost ye too, Kate barked, relieved to see that there was not another wolf. She proceeded to lick his face while he held her close. Oh, B.B., I heard you barking and shot my gun by accident. Let's get out of here, Gilbert said, now hearing his family calling for him. They must be worried sick. Gilbert set Kate on the ground, picked up his musket, and ran back toward Chevagnac. He soon met Abby coming from the other direction. Are you all right, Gilbert? Abby cried. We've been so afraid for you. I'm fine, Abby. I'm so sorry, Gilbert answered as they hurried out of the woods to meet the ladies. I thought I could go after the beast myself. I disobeyed and did what you had instructed me not to do. That you did, but I am relieved you are unharmed, Abby answered. When they reached the clearing, Marie ran up to Gilbert and embraced him. Oh, you are all right. We heard the gunshot. What happened? Did you see a wolf? No, I didn't see a wolf or any kind of beast. My gun went off by accident, Gilbert explained. I'm sorry I worried you all so. Well, no more going off deep into the woods until this beast is caught, understood? Demanded Madame as she wrapped the boy up in a hug. I could not bear to lose you, cher Gilbert. Oui, je comprends. Gilbert nodded. I promise. What happened to Bibi? Aunt Madeline shouted, pointing to Kate. She's bleeding. Gilbert dropped to his knees and saw the blood smeared on Kate's fur. Bibi, where are you hurt? 
He frantically looked her over but found no wounds. Kate stood there, wagging her tail. I'm fine, lad. That's not me blood, then, Kate barked. Just the blood of a wolf beastie. I don't see that she's hurt, reported Gilbert, turning to look at the women. It doesn't appear to be her blood. Suddenly, it dawned on him what could have happened. I heard her barking. He turned and cupped her face in his hands. Did you see the beast? I'm sure if she had, she would not have made it back here, Abby answered for the little dog. Maybe she bit a squirrel or a chipmunk in the woods. Come, let's all get back to the chateau, Madame ordered. This is all the blood I wish to see today. Gilbert wrapped his arm around Marie, and together they walked with the adults back to the chateau. Kate breathed a deep sigh of relief to see Gilbert walking away safe in the company of his family. But immediately her heart caught in her chest. Max! She took off running back into the forest. Max was lying on his stomach, panting heavily. He was covered with blood and mud. Kate ran up and fell over him. Max, are you all right? What happened? Max nodded and let go a heavy sigh. Aye, I be fine, lass. After he left, that beast and me tangled something fierce. I knew I couldn't hold him for long, so I had to tear him loose. Kate's face grew fearful, and she looked into the woods. So the beast be out there running free? No, lass. He's not running anywhere at the moment, Max assured her with a grin, drawing a confused look from Kate. I did the only thing I knew to do. I had the beastie chase me to the bog, where he proceeded to get nice and stuck. Is there no? Up to his chest in muck. Kate smiled with her perky grin and plopped down next to Max. Ah, thank the maker. That were quick thinking, me love. Aye, and you saved the lad from a second wolf, Max wanted to know. Aye, I went on a biting frenzy and nipped the beastie over and over until Gilbert accidentally shot his gun, scaring the wolf away, Kate explained. The lad never saw the wolf. It's a shame he'll never know that he really did help to scare away the beastie. Ah, <sighs> that's me brave lass, Max boasted with a broad smile. I'm proud of you. Whew, well, at least we'll be safe for now, Kate sighed, resting her head on Max's shoulder. Gilbert's grandmother told him he can't venture deep into the woods until the beast be caught. I suppose we best go check on the big bad wolf and make sure he can't get free. We've got time, lass, Max answered. Just rest for no. That beastie will be bogged down for quite a while. But you know what's odd? When I were fighting that beast, it were almost as if the stench were coming from it. It's like the smell were coming from something else. Kate wrinkled her brow. Something else? What in the world could it be? The massive wolf strained against the muck in the bog, but the harder it struggled, the lower it sank. After a while, it grew very calm and just sat there, breathing heavily. It was so easy, so very 
easy, came the sinister voice from behind the wolf. I set up everything for you so well. I poison them with fear and detect the imagination of the people until they believe you are some sort of mythical creature. I've adored watching their confusion and mass hysteria over the carnage I've caused. But no, you just couldn't get the job done, could you? The wolf's eyes filled with fear, and the fur on the back of its head stood on end. It tried to move, but couldn't budge. I... I wasn't expecting this. Get me out of here, and I'll try again. My, what big eyes you have, mocked the voice. No, you had your chance and failed. If you desire second chances... You joined forces with the wrong side. I'll have to find another big bad wolf to take your place. The voice angrily replied, growing in its ferocity. How could you not expect the whelps? I warned you about them. I said not to be deceived by their small size. That other useless backup wolf even failed with the little white whelp. I had it set up so perfectly, and you both failed. The monster wolf swallowed back its fear as the voice shouted into its ears. The smell was overpowering, even for him. But I didn't fail with the seven children. I let them beat me, just as you instructed me to do. Doesn't that count for something? They were the bait. To convince the little Marquis, he could fight the beast, too. The voice whispered into the wolf's flattened ears. I made sure their story brought them glory and fame. I knew he would want it, too. But this time... He was the prey, and you failed. His dear grandmere will see to it. He doesn't venture into these woods for now. So what are you going to do next? The wolf asked fearfully. I'll think of something, the voice replied. Meanwhile, I'm not completely heartless. Let me give you something to ease your discomfort while you sink into the abyss. The wolf's eyes filled with terror as its mouth was forced open and the bitter powder was shoved down its throat. It started to gasp for breath and became paralyzed as something pushed its head down into the muck. The wolf slowly slipped deeper into the bog until it completely disappeared. Do you suppose it got away? Kate asked when she and Max eventually returned to the bog and did not see the huge wolf. Max frowned. That's hard to see. The beastie could be stuck down in that muck. 
At least King Louis be sending a new hunter down here to catch the beast. Aye, hopefully the only thing we'll have to protect the Marquis from will be the other kind of beasts he seeks. At least until he's a wee bit older, Kate said. Uh, what kind of beast, lass? Max asked. A beast that needs to be tamed first, Kate smiled. Glory! I say, it seems we all have our beast to tame, uh, and our fears to conquer. Aye, lad. Uh, so where were you, Liz? Well, I decided to go get tested to make sure I do not have what Monsieur has. But uh, we don't exactly know what he has, my pet. We, oui, but as it turns out, I have tested negative. Let me see. Hi. Uh, you don't be sick, but it does look like you might be having kittens. Give me that. It does not say that. Ugh, dogs. <laughs> I say, uh, perhaps we should all head over to Jenny's corner and take our minds off all these scary notions, what? We, oui, Miss Jenny will put us all at ease. Uh, bonjour, madame. Hey, Liz. Uh, Miss Jenny, I understand that today you have a question for us, no? Hey, go ahead, lass. Uh, ask away. Who's afraid of the big bad wolf? Oh! Ah! I mean, uh, I wouldn't. Oh, sure, Max. No, of course not, Braveheart. Oh, <laughs> Trebian. Well, back in France in the 1700s, a lot of people were, and this is some pretty scary but amazing history that I discovered when I was writing the section on Lafayette and uh, the Beast of the Gévaudan. There's a book that I discovered about this episode in history by a guy named J.M. Smith. The Monsters of the Gévaudan. And this was a real outbreak that happened during uh, 1764 to 1767. And it was an unusual outbreak of wolf attacks in the south of France in the Gévaudan region. And it started with this 14-year-old shepherd girl. So the details that I gave about the events and the descriptions of the beast and the heroism and the widespread fame and the rewards for the children, the efforts of the king, the authorities, and all of the hunters who went out to capture the beast, they're all true, as I've written them here. And the Marquis de Lafayette, he wrote actually in his memoirs about that time when he was eight years old and he fetched his father's musket to go hunt the beast. And this is what he said, my heart pounded when I heard of the beast and the hope of meeting it made my walks very exciting. <laughs> but he was called back by his tutor and the ladies of Chavagnac, and he never saw the beast. The rest of the story, if you will, King Louis XV's royal armor bearer did in fact shoot and kill a massive wolf, and he had it stuffed and sent to Versailles and the court so they could triumph over it. Things were quiet for a couple of months, and then another rash of attacks happened again, Fewer attacks this time, and then there was finally a local hunter named Jean Chastel who killed another beast in June 1767, and then the attacks stopped. But here's the cool thing. This phenomenon was one of the first instances for people to experience the power of mass media <laughs> in the press. They were just coming out of the Dark Ages, and it was a superstitious mindset of the masses then. And those who wished to stir up the frenzied imagination and fear in the people were easily able to do it. They took something that was really happening, and they magnified it and instilled fear in people. Hmm. The fear was real because the attacks were real. 
But sometimes you've got to look at what is happening out there and step back as to is this fear truly founded or is it being exploited to stir up the masses? History doesn't change a lot. might be a different beast at the moment. But this is something that has happened for real in history. And, you know, all along, if you look in literature, you've got Little Red Riding Hood and the Big Bad Wolf, where that song came from, Who's Afraid of the Big Bad Wolf? So wolves have been depicted as bad guys a lot in literature. What's going to happen to the Big Bad Wolf and the Beast of the Gévaudan? Well, stay tuned because Kate and Max don't know what happened to them. There might be more to this story as well. Ah, merci as always, Miss Jenny. So, real things can get magnified by overzealous reports, thus instilling fear in many. Hi, lass. And they didn't even have the internet back then. That is true, mon ami. But the internet can be used for good, too, no? Aye. And you can even use it to meet face-to-face now and have a grand time online. And that brings us to another edition of Nigel's News Nuggets. Greetings. Nigel P. Monaco reporting from the newsroom with a great way to use modern technology for good. You see, our own Miss Jenny is offering something brand new to all of her followers, especially for you young, aspiring, patriotic writers. Jenny is not only passionate about America, she's passionate about raising up the next generation of young writers. Perhaps that's you. If so, Jenny's epic patriot camp is returning for 2022, but with a twist. This year's camp will take place online. So, no matter where you live, if you're aged 9 through 15, you can attend. And get this, you'll actually get to assume the identity of a revolutionary character, conduct research, and write a story that will be published in your group's book for sale on Amazon. I say, you could become a published author this summer and get to reenact a bit of the American Revolution. I say, so join Jenny L. Cote and her author colleague, Libby McNamee, as they set out to build lasting friendships and launch some inspired young writers, perhaps like you. But I say, you mustn't dilly-dally, for space is limited and will fill up quickly. To reserve your spot, go to Jenny's website, www.epicorderofthe7.com. Spell it out, epicorderofthe7.com. For Nigel's News Nuggets, I'm Nigel P. Monaco, reporting. Ah, well done, Mousy. And Liz, I got to tell you, I've been thinking about what Miss Jenny said. You mean about how a real story can get talked up so much that it is easy to become afraid? Aye, and how some folks will even use your own fear against you. We, oui. and that is why we should always take our fears and give them over to... The, the Maker. Maker! Aye, lass. In fact, reading in his book, it says that the fear of the Lord be the beginning of wisdom, but I'm afraid I don't be wise enough to know what it means. Well then, old boy, uh, uh, perhaps I can help you. Uh, one translation refers to fearing the Lord as worshipping him and regarding him as truly awesome. Oh, <laughs> I already think he's awesome. So, you are already on the path to wisdom. You see, Max, as brilliant as I was before I met the Maker, and of course I was, it was only when I turned my life over to him that I could truly be wise. 
And I've known him a lot longer than you have, lass. <laughs> so I be wiser than you. Ah, uh, well, not necessary. But I am catching up. Ah, uh, you'll never catch me. Yes, I will. No, you won't. Yes, I will. No, you won't. Yes, I will. In your dreams. Uh, well, then, apparently they're not coming back. Uh, so I suppose I'll close things out today with the uh, uh, pre-recorded closing. So I'll just uh, climb up here, up on the, the board, and jump on this button right here. Here we go. Uh, Ah, uh. oh, <laughs> jolly good. <laughs> Once again, the Epic Order of the Seven, the podcast, is produced by Playful World Ministries, a department of ACT International. All of the Epic Order of the Seven characters and adventures were created by and written by Jenny L. Cody. And remember, you can download your very own copy of the audiobook, The Voice, The Revolution, and the Key, by visiting audible.com. That's www.audible.com. And you can find the entire collection of Jenny L. Cody's Epic Order of the Seven books by going to her website, www.epicorderofthe7.com. And I'm Denny Brownlee. Thank you for listening, and join us next time on the Epic Order of the Seven, the podcast. Have a grandee! A bientôt, mes amis! Huzzah! And ta-ta! And always remember... You are loved and you are able.